I hope you've had a wonderful day today. Welcome to BVJ's Bedtime Stories. My name is Big Voice Jay, and this is a show where we get you ready for a great night's sleep with some old familiar stories that you haven't heard in a while. Links to every story can be found in the show notes at our website, bedtimewithbvj.com. Tonight, we continue our story. The Story of Aladdin, or The Wonderful Lamp, by Arabian Nights. In the meantime, Aladdin's mother reached home and showed in her air and countenance the good news she brought to her son. My son, said she, you may rejoice. You are arrived at the height of your desires. The Sultan has declared that you shall marry the Princess Budir al-Budur. He waits for you with impatience. Aladdin, enraptured with this news, made his mother very little reply, but retired to his chamber. There he rubbed his lamp and the obedient genie appeared. Genie, said Aladdin, convey me at once to a bath and supply me with the richest and most magnificent robe ever worn by a monarch. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than the genie rendered him, as well as himself, invisible and transported him into a hummum of the finest marble of all sorts of colors, where he was undressed, without seeing by whom, in a magnificent and spacious hall. He was then well rubbed and washed with various scented waters. After he had passed through several degrees of heat, he came out quite a different man from what he was before. His skin was clear as that of a child, his body lightsome and free, and when he returned into the hall, he found instead of his own poor raiment, a robe, the magnificence of which astonished him. The genie helped him to dress, and when he had done, transported him back to his own chamber, where he asked him if he had any other commands. Yes, answered Aladdin, bring me a charger that surpasses in beauty and goodness the best in the sultan's stables, with a saddle, bridle, and other caparisons to correspond with his value. Furnish also twenty slaves, as richly clothed as those who carried the present to the sultan, to walk by my side and follow me, and twenty more to go before me in two ranks. Besides these, bring my mother six women slaves to attend her, as richly dressed as least as any of the Princess Budir al-Budur's, each carrying a complete dress fit for any sultaness. I want also ten thousand pieces of gold in ten purses, Go and make haste. As soon as Aladdin had given these orders, the genie disappeared, but presently returned with the horse, the forty slaves, ten of whom carried each a purse containing ten thousand pieces of gold, and six women slaves, each carrying on her head a different dress for Aladdin's mother, wrapped up in a piece of silver tissue, and presented them all to Aladdin. He presented the six women slaves to his mother, telling her that they were her slaves and that the dresses they had brought were for her use. Of the ten purses, Aladdin took four, which he gave to his mother, telling her those were to supply her with necessaries. The other six he left in the hands of the slaves who brought them, with an order to throw them by handfuls among the people as they went to the sultan's palace. The six slaves who carried the purses he ordered likewise to march before him, three on the right hand and three on the left. When Aladdin had thus prepared himself for his first interview with the sultan, He dismissed the genie and, immediately mounting his charger, began his march, and though he never was on horseback before, appeared with a grace the most experienced horseman might envy. 
The innumerable concourse of people through whom he passed made the air echo with their acclamations, especially every time the six slaves who carried the purses threw handfuls of gold among the populace. On Aladdin's arrival at the palace, the sultan was surprised to find him more richly and magnificently robed than he had ever been himself, and was impressed with his good looks and dignity of manner, which were so different from what he expected in the son of one so humble as Aladdin's mother. He embraced them with all the demonstrations of joy, and when he would have fallen at his feet, held him by the hand and made him sit near his throne. He shortly after led him, amidst the sounds of trumpets, halt boys, and all kinds of music, to a magnificent entertainment, at which the Sultan and Aladdin ate by themselves, and the great lords of the court, according to their rank and dignity, sat at different tables. After the feast, the Sultan sent for the chief caddy, and commanded him to draw up a contract of marriage between the Princess Budir al-Budur and Aladdin. When the contract had been drawn, the sultan asked Aladdin if he would stay in the palace and complete the ceremonies of the marriage that day. Sire, said Aladdin, though great is my impatience to enter on the honor granted me by your majesty, yet I beg you to permit me first to build a palace worthy to receive the princess your daughter. I pray you to grant me sufficient ground near your palace, and I will have it completed with the utmost expedition." The sultan granted Aladdin his request, and again embraced him, after which he took his leave with as much politeness as if he had been bred up and had always lived at court. Aladdin returned home in the order he had come, amidst the acclamations of the people, who wished him all happiness and prosperity. As soon as he dismounted, he retired to his own chamber, took the lamp, and summoned the genie as usual, who professed his allegiance. Genie? said Aladdin. Build me a palace fit to receive the Princess Budir al-Budur. Let its materials be made of nothing less than porphyry, jasper, agate, lapis lazuli, and the finest marble. Let its walls be massive gold and silver bricks and laid alternate. Let each front contain six windows, and let the lattices of these, except one, which must be left unfinished, be enriched with diamonds, rubies and emeralds, so that they shall exceed everything of the kind ever seen in the world. Let there be an inner and outer court in front of the palace, and a spacious garden, but above all things, provide a safe treasure house, and fill it with gold and silver. Let there be also kitchens and storehouses, stables full of the finest horses, with their equerries and grooms, and hunting equipment, officers, attendants, and slaves, both men and women, to form a retinue for the princess and myself. Go and execute my wishes. When Aladdin gave these commands to the genie, the sun was set. The next morning at daybreak, the genie presented himself, and having obtained Aladdin's consent, transported him in a moment to the palace he had made. The genie led him through all the apartments, where he found officers and slaves, habited according to their rank, and the services to which they were appointed. The genie then showed him the treasury, which was opened by a treasurer, where Aladdin saw large vases of different sizes, piled to the top with money, ranged all around the chamber. The genie thence led him to the stables, where were some of the finest horses in the world, and the grooms busy in dressing them. From thence they went to the storehouses, 
which were filled with all things necessary, both for food and ornament. When Aladdin had examined every portion of the palace, and particularly the hall with the four and twenty windows, and found it far to exceed his fondest expectations, he said, Genie, there is one thing wanting, a fine carpet for the princess to walk upon from the sultan's palace to mine. Lay one down immediately. The genie disappeared, and Aladdin saw what he desired executed in an instant. The genie then returned and carried him to his own home. When the sultan's porters came to open the gates, they were amazed to find what had been an unoccupied garden filled with a magnificent palace and a splendid carpet extending to it all the way from the sultan's palace. They told the strange tidings to the grand vizier, who informed the sultan. It must be Aladdin's palace, the sultan exclaimed, which I gave him lead to build for my daughter. He has wished to surprise us and let us see what wonders can be done in only one night. Aladdin, on his being conveyed by the genie to his own home, requested his mother to go to the princess Budir al-Budur and tell her that the palace would be ready for her reception in the evening. She went, attended by her women slaves, in the same order as on the preceding day. Shortly after her arrival at the princess's apartment, the sultan himself came in and was surprised to find her, whom he knew only as his suppliant at his divan in humble guise, more richly and sumptuously attired than his own daughter. This gave him a higher opinion of Aladdin, who took such care of his mother and made her share his wealth and honors. Shortly after her departure, Aladdin, mounting his horse and attended by his retinue of magnificent attendants, left his paternal home forever and went to the palace in the same pomp as on the day before. Nor did he forget to take with him the wonderful lamp, to which he owed all his good fortune, nor to wear the ring which was given him as a talisman. The sultan entertained Aladdin with the utmost magnificence, and at night, on the conclusion of the marriage ceremonies, the princess took leave of the sultan her father. Bands of music led the procession, followed by a hundred state ushers and the like number of mutes in two files with their officers at their head. Four hundred of the sultan's young pages carried flambeaux on each side, which, together with the illuminations of the sultan's and Aladdin's palaces, made it as light as day. In this order, the princess, conveyed in her litter and accompanied also by Aladdin's mother, carried in a superb litter and attended by her women slaves, proceeded on the carpet which was spread from the sultan's palace to that of Aladdin. On her arrival, Aladdin was ready to receive her at the entrance and led her into a large hall, illuminated with an infinite number of wax candles, where a noble feast was served up. The dishes were of massy gold and contained the most delicate viands. The vases, basins, and goblets were gold also, and of exquisite workmanship, and all the other ornaments and embellishments of the hall were answerable to this display. The princess, dazzled to see so much riches collected in one place, said to Aladdin, I thought, prince, that nothing in the world was so beautiful as the sultan my father's palace, but the sight of this hall alone is sufficient to show I was mistaken. When the supper was ended, there entered a company of female dancers, who performed, according to the custom of the country, singing at the same time verses and praise of the bride and bridegroom. About midnight, Aladdin's mother conducted the bride to the nuptial apartment, 
and he soon after retired. The next morning, the attendants of Aladdin presented themselves to dress him, and brought him another habit as rich and magnificent as that worn the day before. He then ordered one of the horses to be got ready, mounted him, and went in the midst of a large troop of slaves to the sultan's palace to entreat him to take a repast in the princess's palace, attended by his grand vizier and all the lords of the court. The sultan consented with pleasure, rose up immediately, and, preceded by the principal officers of his palace, and followed by all the great lords of his court, accompanied Aladdin. The nearer the sultan approached Aladdin's palace, the more he was struck with its beauty. But when he entered it, when he came into the hall and saw the windows, enriched with diamonds, rubies, emeralds, all large, perfect stones, he was completely surprised and said to his son-in-law, This palace is one of the wonders of the world, for where in all the world besides shall we find walls built of massy gold and silver and diamonds, rubies, and emeralds composing the windows? But what most surprises me is that a hall of this magnificence should be left with one of its windows incomplete and unfinished. Sire, answered Aladdin, the omission was by design, since I wished that you should have the glory of finishing this hall. I take your intention kindly, said the Sultan, and will give orders about it immediately. After the Sultan had finished this magnificent entertainment, provided for him and for his court by Aladdin, he was informed that the jewelers and goldsmiths attended, upon which he had turned to the hall, and showed them the window which was unfinished. I sent for you, said he, to fit up this window in as great perfection as the rest. Examine them well and make all the dispatch you can. The jewelers and goldsmiths examined the three and twenty windows with great attention, and after they had consulted together to know what each could furnish, they returned and presented themselves before the sultan, whose principal jeweler, undertaking to speak for the rest, said, Sire, we are all willing to exert our utmost care and industry to obey you, but among us all, we cannot furnish jewels enough for so great a work. I have more than are necessary, said the sultan. Come to my palace, and you shall choose what may answer your purpose. When the sultan returned to his palace, he ordered his jewels to be brought out, and the jewelers took a great quantity, particularly those Aladdin had made him a present of, which they soon used without making any great advance in their work. They came again several times for more, and in a month's time had not finished half their work. In short, they used all the jewels the sultan had, and borrowed of the vizier, but yet the work was not half done. Aladdin, who knew that all the sultan's endeavors to make this window like the rest were in vain, sent for the jewelers and goldsmiths, and not only commanded them to desist from their work, but ordered them to undo what they had begun and to carry all their jewels back to the sultan and the vizier. They undid in a few hours what they had been six weeks about, and retired, leaving Aladdin alone in the hall. He took the lamp, which he carried about him, rubbed it, and presently the genie appeared. Genie, said Aladdin, I ordered thee to leave one of the four-and-twenty windows of this hall imperfect, and thou hast executed my commands exactly. Now... I would have thee make it like the rest. The genie immediately disappeared. 
Aladdin went out of the hall and returning soon after, found the window as he wished it to be, like the others. In the meantime, the jewelers and goldsmiths repaired to the palace and were introduced into the sultan's presence, where the chief jeweler presented the precious stones which he had brought back. The sultan asked them if Aladdin had given them any reason for so doing, and they answering that he had given them none, he ordered a horse to be brought, which he mounted and rode to his son-in-law's palace with some few attendants on foot to inquire why he had ordered the completion of the window to be stopped. Aladdin met him at the gate, and without giving any reply to his inquiries, conducted him to the grand saloon, where the sultan, to his great surprise, found that the window, which was left imperfect, corresponded exactly with the others. He fancied at first that he was mistaken, and examined the two windows on each side, and afterward all the four and twenty. But when he was convinced that the window which several workmen had been so long about was finished in so short a time, he embraced Aladdin and kissed him between his eyes. My son, said he, what a man you are to do such surprising things, always in the twinkling of an eye. There is not your fellow in the world. The more I know, the more I admire you. The Sultan returned to the palace, and after this went frequently to the window, to contemplate and admire the wonderful palace of his son-in-law. Aladdin did not confine himself in his palace, but went with much state, sometimes to one mosque and sometimes to another, to prayers or to visit the Grand Vizier or the principal lords of the court. Every time he went out he caused two slaves, who walked by the side of his horse, to throw handfuls of money among the people as he passed through the streets and squares. This generosity gained him the love and blessings of the people, and it was common for them to swear by his head. Thus Aladdin, while he paid all respect to the sultan, won by his affable behavior and liberality the affection of the people. Aladdin had conducted himself in this manner several years, when the African magician, who had for some years dismissed him from his recollection, determined to inform himself with certainty whether he perished, as he supposed, in the subterranean cave or not. After he had resorted to a long course of magic ceremonies and had formed a horoscope by which to ascertain Aladdin's fate, what was his surprise to find the appearances to declare that Aladdin, instead of dying in the cave, had made his escape and was living in royal splendor by the aid of the genie of the wonderful lamp. On the very next day, the magician set out and traveled with the utmost haste to the capital of China, where, on his arrival, he took up his lodgings in a khan. He then quickly learned about the wealth, charities, happiness, and splendid palace of Prince Aladdin. Directly he saw the wonderful fabric. He knew that none but the genies, the slaves of the lamp, could have performed such wonders. And, piqued to the quick at Aladdin's high estate, he returned to the khan. On his return, he had recourse to an operation of geomancy to find out where the lamp was, whether Aladdin carried it about with him or where he left it. The result of his consultation informed him, to his great joy, that the lamp was in the palace. Well, said he, rubbing his hands in glee, I shall have the lamp, and I shall make Aladdin return to his original mean condition. We'll return with our story on our next episode. I want to remind you that we're always on the hunt for great stories such as this one. 
to feature on the show. And if you know of any, you can email me, bigvoicej at gmail.com. We've got a YouTube channel, tiny.cc slash bvjbedtime. Remember to leave us a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that we're putting people to sleep every single night. And if you'd like to support the show, there's a Buy Me A Coffee link on every single page and post. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>